This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Subway to Shape podcast, Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. Episode 113, live from the Subway to Shea studio in my office. Huge thank you and shout out to Pat Ragazzo previewing the trade deadline with me and going over the David Robertson trade as well as the Max Scherzer trade. This happened before the rest of the trade deadline, so it was a great preview. Pat is the Mets beat writer for Fan Nation on SI.com, so make sure to follow him on X, which formerly known as Twitter, at Regazzo Report. This week's episode, it's a solo one. No guest, just you great listeners and me. First time in nine episodes that I am solo, and I wanted to come to you solo to address the trade deadline and some thoughts I had. So let's get this episode underway. I'm not going to go too crazy about the trade deadline. You know everything that's happened, but I really haven't given my thoughts on air about what happened over the past week. And as we know, Justin Verlander is now gone. He got traded back to the Houston Astros for outfielder Drew Gilbert, who's the Astros number one, who was the Astros number one prospect. Now he's a Mets prospect. He was number 68 overall. And Ryan Clifford, who was the Astros number four prospect. Verlander is owed about $58 million in 2023 and 2024, and the Mets will be paying $35 million of that, and that's according to Mark Feinsand of MLB.com. If Verlander's $35 million option for 2025 vests, the Mets will pick up $17.5 million of that, bringing their total to $52.5 million in the trade, all of which will count against their competitive balance taxed. Now, in this season, this little short spurt that we got of the legendary Justin Verlander, he went 6-5 and five with a 3.15 ERA, and um, it was really short-lived having Justin Verlander. I don't, it, it feels like he came with the wind and he's gone with the wind. So it was a really short run for him. I've heard a lot of good things about the prospects, which we'll get, we're not going to get too crazy. As you know, and I've said this in the past, I am not a prospect expert. I follow mostly the big league team and I don't know about these guys. So that's why I have to lean on, you know, the Joe DeMeos of the world, Michael Mayer, um, all the guys who follow the prospects, even Ernest Dove. A lot of these guys who follow the prospects know a lot more. So I'm not going to go too crazy and talk about them, but I do have some stuff for you guys to listen to and look at that will help you. And now we'll talk about that in a little bit later on. Uh, also traded Tommy Pham for cash consideration and, oh, sorry, Tommy Pham and cash, cash considerations. I can't even say that. To the Diamondbacks for 17-year-old middle infielder Jeremy Rodriguez. Tommy Pham's short Mets season, 268 batting average, 10 home runs, 36 RBIs, 820 OPS. It felt like for so long this season when Lindor was, you know, having a rough patch, when Pete Alonso was recovering from his 
wrist injury, when Jeff McNeil, who hasn't been himself probably mostly all season, Starling Marte as well. Uh, Brandon Nimmo has his spurts uh, of good games and bad games. But Tommy Pham was one of the more consistent players the Mets had on offense and was a huge part of a lot of the runs that were scored for this team. And it was the right time to trade him as well. And I talked about this with Pat Ragazzo. We talked about the main cogs that were going to get traded. Justin Verlander, Tommy Pham, and also Mark Hanna. He was traded as well to the Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers picked him up for uh, the Mets getting a pitching prospect in return. Justin Jarvis, Mark Hanna's 2023 season with the Mets, 245 batting average, six home runs, 29 RBIs and a 7.25 OPS. His career as a Met in the, I guess, year and a half, because it was going to be a two-year contract, 259 batting average, 19 home runs, 90 RBIs, and a 7.54 OPS. Uh, you know, with Mark Hanna, I don't know. I, I, I kind of felt like he was not the starting outfielder that we thought he was going to be. I feel like more of he's more of a platoon type player. He played a little bit of left field, a little bit of first base, but he really didn't stick out to me as someone that could get a starting role on this team and continue to provide the offense the Mets needed. So he goes to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Mets also acquired Phil Bigford and Adam Kolarik from the Dodgers for cash, uh, cash compensation, cash considerations, cash compensations. It's a tongue twister. But the Mets did get Phil Bickford, and we've seen him in a few games. He saved a game. He saved Adam Adovino's behind the other night in the series finale against the Cubs, which was uh, nice to see the Mets get a win there and win an actual series since they haven't been winning too many series. Uh, the Probably one of the best trades for me. And Dominic Leone. I can't believe they were able to trade Dominic Leone. Dominic Leone was traded to the uh, Los Angeles Angels. I almost said Anaheim Angels. He was traded to the Los Angeles Angels for infield prospect Jeremiah Jackson, who's the ninth prospect in the Angels system via MLB Pipeline. Dominic Leone was 1-3 with a 440 ERA and 30 innings pitched. I think we saw Dominic Leone way too much this season, but what are you going to do when the starting pitches don't go five, six innings, you're going to see a lot more Dominic Leone. And with Edwin Diaz being out, there was really no one to go to, and you would see a whole lot of Dominic Leone in the middle innings, Jeff Brigham in the middle innings, and uh, Steven Gosick, who is now no longer a Met as well. You would see all these guys, and they were guys that you didn't want to see because you wanted to see the David Robertsons of the world uh, Adam Adovino, although he's having a, a rough season, you wanted to see him in a big role. You wanted to see um, Brooks Raley in a big, big role. You didn't want to see Dominic Leone all the time. You didn't want to see uh, Jeff Brigham. But they brought them these guys in because the starting pitching could not get it done. Now, where do the prospects that the Mets got, we're going to include the prospects they got for David Robertson. We're also going to include the prospects they got for Max Scherzer, and well, it was a prospect, but Joe DeMeo had his top 20 list out, and I'm just going to look at the top 10, and uh, Luis Angel Acuna, who they got for Max Scherzer, he's the number one ranked prospect on Joe DeMeo's list for SNY, you got Jet Williams at two, play center field and shortstop. You got Drew Gilbert, who they got in the deal for Justin Verlander. He's third, plays outfield. And Kevin Parada for 
Ronnie Mauricio five, Colin Houck, who they was the number one draft pick for the Mets. Well, the first round draft pick for the Mets in this year's draft. He's six. Ryan Clifford, seven. Alex Ramirez, eight. Blade Tidwell, nine, who's having a great season down in the minors. And 10, Marco Vargas, who they got in the trade for David Robertson. And of those players, the guys that should be seen soon, obviously Ronnie Mauricio, we've heard a lot about, but he's still transitioning defensive-wise. Is he going to play third? Is he going to play left field? Is he going to play second base? Where is Ronnie Mauricio going to play, or is he going to get traded? So we'll, we'll see what happens with him. But also, next season, we're looking at outfielder Drew Gilbert, who they got in the trade for Justin Verlander, like I said, and uh, Luis Angel Acuna, the brother of Ronald Acuna Jr. He may be up next year as well. He plays shortstop in center field, and I think he plays a little bit of second base. So we'll see what happens with those guys and I, I want to, you know, swap over to what Michael Mayer had because he did his top 60 list. But we're, like I said, we're only going to look at the top 10. And if I could bring this up without all of the uh, ads by it, he's got Luis Angel Acuna at one, just like uh, DeMeo, Drew Gilbert two, Parada three, Ryan Clifford four, Jet Williams five, Colin Hout six, Marco Vargas seven. So I think Joe DeMeo had him 10, but uh, Joe, uh, Michael Mayer. Has him seven. He has Ronnie Mauricio at eight. Alex Ramirez nine. And Blade Tidwell ten. And now the MLB pipeline. I know I'm throwing a lot of lists at you, but just kind of remember some of this stuff. You can listen back and, you know, rewind the podcast. That's what's great about these podcasts. But MLB pipeline's top 100. The Mets have five prospects in the top 100, one of them being Luis Angel Acuna, who's 40, Drew Gilbert, 57, Jet Williams, 84, Ronnie Mauricio, 93, and Kevin Parada, 96. We go to, I think it is uh, Baseball America. I don't know where that one, I can't find that list, but I, I know I had that list up. Let me see if I could pick that up here. Oh boy, let's see. Let me see. I had Baseball America's list. Let's bring that up. Here we go. Ronald, uh, Luis Angel Acuna. I almost said Ronald Acuna. Luis Angel Acuna, 65. Drew Gilbert, 87. We have Ryan Clifford, 98. And Jet Williams is at 99. Like I said, I am no expert when it comes to the prospects at all. That's why I look forward to hearing what Joe DeMeo has to say. That's why I look forward to hearing what Michael Mayer has to say and uh, Ernest Dove as well. And there are probably many more uh, regular MLB guys out there as well. Uh, Sam Dykstra. Uh, there, there's so many guys. But I want to promote my good friends at Till Mets Do His Part because they had a great episode, probably going on an hour and a half, a little longer. Uh, John Sapinero, Matt Ibiabanez, good friends of mine. We did the um, Mets Weekly trade deadline live stream. If you saw all that, that was great. And I had that streaming through my uh, podcast page as well for the YouTube. But until Mets do his part with John Sapinero and Matt Ibiabanez, their guest was Joe DeMeo. And they asked some great questions. They talked about these prospects to a T. And do me a favor, just episode just came out. Please either listen to it on your podcast, which I did, or watch it on YouTube as well. Because what these guys did and the questions they asked and the answers they got from Joe DeMeo, you learn a lot. And I definitely learned a lot from uh, listening to it. 
And um, you can learn a lot from listening to it and watching it about all the prospects the Mets have. And, and they talked more, not just the prospects that are in uh, that, that were in these trades. They went way past that. They talked about a lot of the prospects we have already. Mike Vasile, Blade Tidwell. Uh, there is a lot to talk about, and they did a great job. So please, please, please listen till till Mets do his part this week's episode. And I'm pretty sure after you listen to this episode, if you never listened to them before, you're going to be a fan of theirs and listen to them every week. So this episode, till Mets do his part with John Sapinara and Matt Ibiabinez, they have Joe DeMeo. So do me a favor and give that a listen. Back to the Mets, because after these trades were made, at the trade deadline, they lost six games in a row. They've been two and seven since the deadline. And, you know, the Mets players seemed shook from these trades. And we'll get into them. But first, Max Scherzer made comments post-trade deadline, speaking about how he talked to Billy Epler and how he talked to Steve Cohen and their visions didn't align with what was going on with this organization. And I, I understand it. Max Scherzer is towards the twilight of his career. It's, you know, probably has maybe a few more years left. If he pitches the way he pitched with the Mets this year, maybe shorter. But he's still got a lot left in the tank, and I think he will pitch fine down in Texas. But the vision's changed, right? The Mets were playing terribly. With all of these stars, with this high payroll, the Mets were playing terribly, and they decided to retool, and they decided to shift the focus. Instead of being next year, 2024, they were going to shift focus to 2025 and 2026. Max Scherzer says, Epler's answer was that the team is now kind of shifting vision and that they're looking to compete now for 2025 and 2026 and that 2024, that it was not going to be a reload situation in New York and that it was going to be more of a transition in 2024. So, you know, how does your views change on Max Scherzer? We talked about this with Pat Regazzo last week. You know, my thoughts, uh, you look at his career, 20 and 9 with a 3.02 ERA. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And I'm not going to take anything away from what Max Scherzer did for the Mets, helping turn this franchise around, making it more desirable to come to. And obviously, Steve Cohen with the money is going to be a desirable place to come to. But in big games, Max Scherzer was almost irrelevant. He never showed up. We talk about the game in Atlanta. We talk about the game in game one of the wild card against San Diego. He didn't show up. Mets lost both of those games. Mets lost both of those series. Mets went home early in the playoffs, way too early for a team that won 101 games. Then you go to this season. He had the issue with the sticky stuff, always arguing with the umpires always seemed frustrated and angry during his press conferences and post game. He was not the big game pitcher we thought we were getting. Obviously, he's a year older. Things change. He struggled a lot this year. But anytime Max Scherzer had the opportunity to start a winning streak, end a losing streak, pitch a big game, he couldn't come through. I still remember the Subway Series game because I was there. Max had a 5 1 lead and ended up giving six runs back to the New York Yankees. An offense that pretty much had just as much trouble as the Mets offenses had. And it didn't stop there. There was a lot of other games as well. He had opportunity after opportunity, the game in Boston, to stop losing streaks, to help build this team and help them get back into the playoff hunt. And he never delivered. And it's fine. 
But he can't be surprised when the vision of the team changes when they've been playing terribly all season long. Well, the Mets had to play damage control, right? Ownership, the front office, because like I said, the Mets players were shook. And what Max Scherzer said actually was right. Epler saying they may not spend crazy come this offseason. We may not see the Mets entertain Shohei Itani. They'll probably check in. They'll have the money to pay for him, but maybe he wants to stay out in LA. Maybe he doesn't want to come to the Mets. And why would he want to come to the Mets knowing that they're rebuilding? He's going to want to win. He's going to want to win now. He's already gone through that with the Angels. Are they going to spend in free agency? Who knows? They have a lot of money coming off the books, the Cano deal. They have Canna's money, uh, Eduardo Escobar's money. They cut down the contracts on Verlander and Scherzer. They're still playing most of it, but they got some money back from it, which is pretty good. Mets have a lot of decisions. Maybe they don't go after Otani. Maybe they don't go after Urias or Snell. Maybe it's a, and this is a guy that I'm interested in, Eduardo Rodriguez from Detroit. Maybe he's one of the guys they go after. Yamamoto, another Japan import. We all know that Billy Epler has great ties over there. We know Steve Cohen has been over there. So maybe instead of going after Otani, who's going to cost them a buttload of money, maybe they go after Yamamoto. And one important thing that the Mets need to do is build the bench and rebuild the bullpen. So maybe they bring back David Robertson, like everyone says he's going to come back. Steve Cohen and Billy Epler said that they wanted to field a competitive team in 2024. And credit to Billy Epler, because I've been on him since he's gotten here, right? He's already had the bad aura from being the Angels GM and not getting Otani and not getting Trout a deep playoff run. He did well this trade deadline. Everyone from the writers who follow prospects like the DeMeos and the Mayors of the world, a lot of the executives, a lot of MLB writers have all said that the Mets did very well at this trade deadline. And you look at other teams like the Yankees. You look at the Angels who bought in. The Diamondbacks who bought in. The Yankees didn't do anything. They got a, a reliever. But they decided to stand pat. And this may hurt these teams in the future. Whereas, you know, Steve Cohen, he spoke the truth. Ever since his State of the Union at City Field in June, he never lied or strayed away from his strategy. He bought in. He said if the team wasn't playing well, they were not going to be buyers at the deadline. And he would have to think long and hard about the future of the franchise. And he did. So credit to Steve Cohen. Credit to Billy Epler. Credit to Billy Epler for trading Dominic Leone. I mean, how big was that? Getting the ninth best prospect in the Angels organization for Dominic Leone. The farm system is stronger now. And they have to be considered as a top 10 farm system. We all know that. I'm pretty sure the players know that. But like I said, they were all shook. Nimmo couldn't sleep. Alonzo was shook. The team got a rude awakening at the trade deadline for the poor play from Steve Cohen. And I'm sure he calmed everything down. He said everything was going to be okay. You know, he sent all the fans that were season ticket holders uh, or uh, season uh, members like myself with the 20 games. He sent us a letter with uh, Alex Cohen saying that the team is in transition and they were apologizing for not coming through this year and that they're building for the future and all the stuff that he went through in his press conference, he kind of said to the fan base. And I respect that. I wish I could get, you know, batting practice to be on the field, 
But you know what? I'm going to take this letter because we would not get that from the Wilpons after all the years of malaise and terrible baseball and bad decisions. Did we ever once get a letter from the Wilpons? I don't think so. They barely came out of press conferences. I like Steve Cohen's making himself available twice this season. Steve Cohen made himself available. Once during the State of the Union address in the middle of the season and then at the trade deadline. He didn't have to do that, but he did. He could have left that all on Billy Epler's plate. Like I said, Brandon Nimmo said he couldn't sleep. Pete Alonso was shook. There was one player, one, that pretty much came out and had the best comments. And that was Francisco Lindor. He says, I'm on board. I'm a New York Met, and I'm ready to do whatever it takes. He loves wearing the blue and orange. He loves the Mets crest across his chest. He goes on to say, we as players have to get it done on the field. It's disappointing. We're in this position now where we have to see teammates go, but I'm looking forward to what the future is going to bring. Lindor handled this better than any player had. You're seeing it in his play right now. He's finding consistency finally. You look at his average in 2023 all the way up to 246. I'll take that. I don't like seeing 220, 210, 205. His batting average all the way back up to 246. 22 home runs, 69 RBIs, 18 stolen bases, and 802 OPS. He leads the team in war with 4.4. The next player, which is Pete Alonso, is 2.4 points behind. He has a 9.86 fielding percentage. And I'll tell you this, he never or he rarely ever brought his offensive struggles onto the field with him. Yes, he's no Ray Ordonez, who to me is the best shortstop, well, the best fielding shortstop in Mets history. He's no Ordonez, but he's a pretty good shortstop. He's a pretty good defensive shortstop. How did he get his batting average to 246? Well, last 30 games, 313 batting average, five home runs, 14 RBIs. You need Lindor. You need Lindor to be hot in this lineup. He is one of the run producers, one of the main run producers on this team. And the Mets go as he goes. And the Mets go as Pete Alonso goes as well. And the Polar Bear has returned. Last 15 games, 316 batting average, 9 home runs, 24 RBIs. This season, 227 batting average. I wish the batting average was higher. He had a great season last year, and I wish that his batting average was so towards there. But 35 home runs, 87 RBIs. Paragazzo posted that Pete Alonso became the first Mets hitter in franchise history to smash at least 35 home runs in four different seasons. And it would have been five. It would have been five if not for that pandemic season. And I've seen a lot of talk. I've seen the talk. Should the Mets trade Pete Alonso? My answer is no. Pete Alonso needs to be re-signed. He will become the greatest Mets hitter of all time. Definitely the greatest Mets power hitter. More than my guy Mike Piazza. More than Daryl Strawberry. He has a lot more power than David Wright. There was an interesting tweet out there from uh, Toby Cooklin, who I follow. He follows me and, uh, you know, respectively. I have to disagree with his tweet, so I wanted to bring it up. He goes, let's try to remember another important element to this extend versus trade Alonzo discussion. Two of the Mets core players who they resigned and extended, Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil, have both severely regressed. Not saying Alonzo will be, that certainly aren't helping the case, his case. I had to respond. Alonzo is a way different talent than both Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil, who throughout their career 
and the seasons that they have have been very inconsistent. One thing that Pete is consistent, power, run production. Ever since he's came to the league, he has been consistent. It would help, though. It would help him out a lot if he had some backup besides Francisco Lindor. Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, both of them need to get back to what worked for them in the past. Look at Nimmo right now. In his last 30 days, 170 batting average, four home runs, eight RBIs, and 28 strikeouts. He has been a strikeout machine, and it's because he's trying to hit more home runs. Hey, seven out of, what was it? I think it was out of the seven games that I've been to, he had six home runs in a row in those games. Uh, Every game he had a home run. It's great to see him hit for power, but he's not a power guy. He gets on base, on base percentage, leadoff hitter, working the walks, working the count. Jeff McNeil is batting 239. This is the batting champion from last year. Two home runs, 14 RBIs. So if we can get some help for Pete Alonso, that would be great. That's what the talk should be about. Not if we're going to trade him. I think everyone got trade happy. Everyone got trade happy once we were able to move Verlander, move Scherzer, trade David Robertson, get Escobar off the team, get Can off the team, able to move Fam and get Dominic Leone far away from Queen. And they got good prospects for them. So now everyone's thinking, oh, what are the prospects we can get? For Pete Alonso, it's going to be big. It's going to be massive. Because why? Because he's a really good baseball player. He plays solid first base defense. He's not the best, but he's very good at first base. couple more tweaks, and the guy could possibly win a gold glove. And like I said, consistent every year. Home runs, run production. Read you the stat earlier. The first Met hitter in franchise history. 35 home runs in four different seasons. And if it wasn't for the pandemic-shortened season, he'd have five. So instead of us talking about, well, it's not me, because I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about it here, and this will probably be the last time. I want the Mets to re-sign Pete Alonso, period. He's a cornerstone of this franchise. He's a cornerstone of this team. He's a core player, and he should be re-signed. Get the deal done. In the offseason, if you're not going to go after Otani, if you're not going to go after any big bats, Give the guy the extension, and let's stop the charade of should they trade him, should they not trade him. No, the talk should not be about them trading Pete Alonso. The talk should be about who else we could bring on to this Mets team to help back up Pete Alonso, to help back up Francisco Lindor, to help provide run production so that these two don't have to do it all by themselves. Because that's what they've been doing over the last couple of years. And you do that with a bounce back year from McNeil and Brandon Nimmo getting back to himself. And maybe Starling Marte. I don't even know. Like Starling Marte is such an unknown right now because he's had these injuries. And he'll be another year older. I do wonder this when the whole scope of the offense. I wonder if the constant change at hitting coach has been an issue. I know they rely more on analytics and a lot less see the ball, hit the ball, like Keith Hernandez said during one of the broadcasts. But you look at the constant change at hitting coach for the Mets. 2019, Chili Davis became the hitting coach. He was replaced in 2021 by Hugh Quattlebaum, and their offense got worse. 2022, Eric Chavez becomes the hitting coach, and the offense felt like it was back to normal and even better than ever. 
2023, Chavez takes the bench coach role because I'm pretty sure he wants to be a manager at some point soon, and he's probably either next in line for the Mets or will be going somewhere else. He takes the bench coach role in 2023, and now Jeremy Barnes is the hitting coach. So that's four hitting coaches since 2019. And on top of that, don't forget that the Mets have a whole bunch of assistant hitting coaches that come along with them. So, you know, maybe this offense is struggling because we keep changing who the hitting coach is. Hopefully there's some consistency and hopefully there is a better strategy to help this team moving forward and to tie it all together. You re-sign Pete Alonzo, Pete and Lindor are your guys that provide most of the offense, but you surround them along with Nemo and McNeil, who are more the table setters. You surround those two with better hitters. And I'm not talking about a DH like Daniel Vogelback, who takes a lot of walks. No, we need a power hitting bat. We need another power hitter on the team. And I'm pretty sure Francisco Alvarez, in due time, will fit that role. But the Mets need another bat, not to trade Pete Alonso. They need another bat to help Pete Alonso. Now, before I close this show up, you know, I got to give my feelings on tanking because I get it. The Mets have an opportunity to have their draft pick. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word to use here. Uh, They have the opportunity to be a top six draft pick and not lose 10 spots in the draft because of the, the tax and spending all this money on these players. I get that. I just don't like to promote tanking. And maybe it's a little bit selfish of me. I can't believe I'm saying that. But I have a ticket package. And I paid good money to see this team. And I want to see them win. Heck, if you want them to lose all the other games, whatever. I want the Mets to win. It'd be cool if they can make the playoffs with these, you know, band of misfits that they've added to the team now and minor leaguers. If they don't, fine. I will be fine if they end up with the sixth pick or the fifth pick or whatever. I just don't like to promote the tanking, and I won't do that on this podcast, and I won't do that on Twitter either. But if they get the draft pick, fine. I'm pretty sure it will help, especially with this team trying to build the farm system even better. But I just won't promote the tanking. If it happens, it happens, but I'm not going to be here excited about it like I've seen a lot of other people have been. All right, that's going to wrap up this show. It's the first time I'm doing this solo show in a long time. Uh, thank you so much for listening. You can follow Subway to Shea on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Subway to Shea. Listen, subscribe to the Subway to Shea podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Turn on your notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. You can rate the show and leave comments for me to review. It helps me to make this show better each and every week when I know what you think. If you have a problem with the show, let me know. If you love the show, let me know. I Take all opinions, just, you know, no cursing, you know, no nastiness, be fair. And uh, obviously I will listen to your opinions and try my best to correct it if there's any issues or continue to make this great content, which I think is great. Subway Shay is also on YouTube. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can get all the notifications and updates from my channel. You can also leave comments and a huge thumbs up if you enjoy or thumbs down if you didn't enjoy, but I'm hoping for many more thumbs up if you know what I mean. And I post a lot of clips. I've been posting clips from the podcast. I won't post a full episode, but I will post clips from the podcast, and there should be one coming from this episode as well. 
Don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan side and network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the fan side and network at Fan Sided. The latest article I did was, and I haven't done one in a while, but I did an article on Billy Epler and if we should trust him post-trade deadline. Do we trust him now? Uh, I don't know if I fully trust him. I still got to see what he does when it comes to putting together a bullpen, putting together a bench. Signing free agents is easy. I don't know about getting prospects, so he did a great job on that but I still have my worries about him. So check that article out. I'll put a link in the description of this episode. Uh, Thank you everyone for tuning in. For Anthony Rivera, this has been the Subway to Shea podcast. And always remember, let's go Mets.